This is Bethel Online. Welcome home. This is the next best thing to being at Bethel on Sundays. We are driven by making disciples of Jesus who make disciples. When you're online, interact with us on Facebook and Instagram. When you're in Barhead, Alberta, drop in Sundays to Friday. Our goal on this podcast is to ask questions, challenge certainty, and grow a relationship with Jesus so you can go the distance and bring others with you. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, We have a special guest with us today, two special guests, and uh, we're just glad to have them here. They're going to talk to us about missions today and not missions in the sense that you normally think of missions. So I'm just going to turn the rest of the service over to you guys and hope you have fun. Bless you guys. I'm going to get my Bible up here. Touch the right buttons. I'm I'm deaf in one ear and can't hear out of the other, so... uh, Are we okay, Marvin? We're good to go. Bless the Lord. As your pastor said, and thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, it is wonderful to see God's house thriving and rejoicing together. Um, Reed and I have, for the last number of years, uh, are part of the leadership of what is called RAN Network. RAN is one of the five uh, international regions of PAOC missions but it is a standalone agency because all of our personnel need some other kind of an identity in order to serve in the countries where they are. Um, we, we can't send people under a missionary visa to the Middle East, North Africa, Central Asia, China, uh, places like that, and so our personnel serve through a, a myriad of different structures in order to enable them to live legally there, be there legally, represent the light of Christ long term and uh, so many of them are involved in in business activities um, in in transformational business kind of thing where basically the business becomes the church and I I can tell you story after story after story of how the church looks what the church looks like when it actually happens in the office and in the factory and and uh, and other places like that it's it's really very exciting to watch and be a part of Um, Reed and I and our family uh, spent a number of years in southern Africa with PAOC, came back um, 18 plus years ago now specifically to be involved in the development of missionaries for Muslim peoples. And so we have been primarily engaged in the mobilization, training, uh, preparation, deployment and coaching of our personnel in these parts of the world. And uh, God is doing amazing things and even though we cannot give you specific names. We're going to tell some of the stories this morning, help you understand that God really is working in these places, and the church is growing and being established, and yet there is such a huge work yet to do. Um, If you were not in the adult Sunday school class this morning, find somebody who was and and ask them what we talked about, and uh, see if they can remember some of the things we talked about in that respect. So it's just a joy to be here. This is my lovely wife, Rita. She has followed me to the ends of the earth for 45 years now, and uh, she still loves me. She doesn't get to travel with me very often because I'm often in a, a lot of crazy places, but it's, it's a joy to have her uh, with me this morning. I, I may need to make a, a, a disclaimer a little bit. Just Somebody might be saying, what is a missionary doing driving a Dodge Charger or Challenger or whatever that thing is out there? I, I have to rent cars a lot. It's actually, um, it's actually cheaper to rent a car and drive it to Barhead than it is to drive my own car. But 
I don't know, I think Avis has put me on a list because it seems like every time I go these days, I get some car like that, like some hot rod or something, and I'm kind of going, no, I, I just want to rig, I can't pull up in front of Bethel Pentecostal Church in a Dodge Challenger. You know, they'll think, are you a real missionary or what? And, and they say, but it's a really nice car. Yeah, but I don't want this car. Like, just like, give me a Toyota, something small, you know, but, but, uh, but they didn't. So it was the last one they had. So please don't think, <laughs> just, it's, it's just, it's a rental car. It's the last one they had. <laughs> the only thing I got going for it, it's an ugly color. <laughs> Once they gave me one, literally, they gave me one that was a, a red Dodge Challenger candy apple red with the big hood scoop. I'm going, no, that ain't working. I'm taking, no, you got to find me something else. I'm, I am not pulling up in front of a church driving that. So <clears throat> please, please bear with me this morning. I, uh, I get to travel it all over the world. Uh, it, it, the romance has gone out of the travel. It's just uh, hard work sometimes at my age t to do that. But I've said for so long, Lord, if you would let me, just give me a billion dollars. I'll take everybody I can find to a different part of the world and introduce them to the need that is there. He hasn't given me a billion dollars yet, Pastor Dave. I'm still asking. But I thought what I'd do this morning is bring the world to you, all right, so that we can understand a little bit about what God is doing and what remains to be done. And so... Uh, we're going to do that kind of interactively to start this morning, if, uh, if you would. So I need 10 people to come up here and help me. They need to be at least teenagers. Well, we need some adults. We need some brave people. So I need 10 people up here right now. And, and uh, so please just come. Uh, this is not at all like an altar call. You can just come. Um, and, uh, and so if you, if, you would, if you would do that, I'm not above subscription, sister. So, um, so if I can get 10 people, yep, yeah, I'm... Like I'm, I'm serious. No, you, you got to come sort of willingly until you don't, and then I'm going to pull you up here. I can't do this without 10 people. God bless you, sister. All right. Hey, some of you youth that were in there, there, there you go. Okay. Now we're getting there. All right. Now we're getting there. All right. So Rita's going to, Rita's going to kind of get you lined up over here. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of describe the world to you first of all this morning. All right. And so Rita's going to get people to do it. Two, four, six, eight, ten. Look at that. Ten. That's awesome. Let's give them a hand. They were a bit timid. Yes. Okay. Good. So, honey, we need one of the gentlemen on that side. Oh, no, but we need one of the gentlemen over there in the... Okay. So, can I get you to come over here and help me? And, ma'am, if you would swap places... There, I think that's going to work. I was going to pick on, like, Jonathan, like, really? I thought you were coming up. <laughs> I thought you were. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to start. We're going to describe the world. So just want you to imagine there's a divide right here. And this is what we will call the reached world. In other words, the people in this part of the world, about half the world's population, they have access to the gospel. They have churches. They can get Bibles. They can hear the gospel in their language on the radio or some other ways. They, they can get the gospel. They drive by your church every day. So this is the reached world. This is the unreached world. This is the part of the world that has no access to the gospel. And you're saying, 
Well, what do you mean? I, I mean there's no churches, no Christians, no missionaries, no Bibles, no understanding of truth in any way because nobody's there to talk to them about it, okay? So that's the unreached world. So we're going to just kind of help you understand what those parts of that world looked like, first of all. So what was your name, sir? Duke. Duke. Okay. So Duke wants you to hold that. This is Duke Christian. Now Duke's the real thing. He has a leather-bound Bible that he actually knows how to use. He actually has devotions. He knows where John 3.16 is, and he uses it. He, he engages with God in his relationship. This guy's the real McCoy. He's a real follower of Jesus. The next two individuals, we give them signs that say Christian because they live in the part of the world where they have access to the gospel, the church is everywhere, uh, the Bibles are available, etc. And so they would call themselves Christian. They're not, uh, like they're not Buddhist or Muslim and, and they saw John 3.16 at a football game on a sign one time so they know that much about it. But they don't follow Jesus in any way. They're, they're just Christian in name only. That's it. The next two individuals, they live in the reached world too, but they're the ones that are going to slam the door in your face if you try to tell them about your faith in Jesus Christ. And so they're there, but they're spiritually blind. And so we give them sunglasses. Okay. So this, this whole group of people, though, can access the gospel 24-7 anytime they want. They are in the reached world. Now the other half of this group are in the unreached. And so we're going to begin with this lady, and she's going to get a red band around her arm because she was born and raised either in Cuba or China or the Soviet Union, and she was taught her entire life that God does not exist, and if he does, he's irrelevant, and he doesn't matter, he has no place in her life, and she lives with the angst of not knowing how to have her needs met because there's no place to go because God doesn't exist. The next two individuals are part of the Muslim world. And they uh, are born and raised believing that there's an angel on their right shoulder recording their good deeds, an angel on their left shoulder recording their bad deeds. And in the same way that you and I believe in the book of life, they uh, believe in a great scales and that all of their good deeds will go on one side and all of their bad deeds will go on the other side. And if they're 51% bad, they will automatically go to hell. But even if they're 95% good, Allah may have created them for hell anyway, so they still go to hell. And they live with this, this horrible angst of not having any confidence at all that they could ever come to the place of knowing God because in their belief system, God will never relate to them. God will never come down and have relationship. God will not even be in paradise even if they get to paradise. And they live their whole life, and there's about 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. The next lady over here, she's going to represent the Hindu peoples of the world. And they're kind of the opposite of Muslims in the sense that they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gods that they are constantly trying to appease in one way. They kind of manipulate gods by saying, what do I need today? Therefore, which god do I need to sacrifice to bow to or whatever to get that particular need met. 
And so if you introduce them and just say, take Jesus, they'll say, oh, that's awesome. I'll take Jesus. And they park him right up on the shelf with all of their other gods. And so they have these multiplicity of belief systems. And then the, the last gentleman, you're really special because you get to represent two peoples. So first of all, Buddhist peoples of the world. A Buddhist believe they go through a wheel of life. They may start off as an insect, but if they're a really good insect, then they may come back after reincarnation, come back as a cat or a, or, or a, or a rat or something like that. But if they're a really good cat, apparently according to Courtney, there are good cats. <laughs> Sorry, that's a, that's a bit from the, from the Sunday school class this morning. Um, and... Um, but if they, if, they, if they work their way through, they, they move into higher form lives until as a human they become a teacher and they evolve into nirvana or the great nothing. And there's about 800 million Buddhists in the world. And we'll also have this young gentleman represent the tribal peoples who believe that God exists in the trees and the mountains and the rivers and they seek to appease every one of those gods again to have their needs met but they find uh, spirit in many other things and so this is the reached world but this is the unreached world these are those who have no access to the gospel so when you look at your world this is your world what's missing say missionaries missionaries thank you can you say that loudly missionaries yes we're missing missionaries so I have no more props but I do need 10 more people youth this is your chance and others I need 10 more people as missionaries you know Jesus said pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest fields and we we may say well it's a it's an exercise but but we're gonna see something here and so we have two four six eight nine Lord please send one more missionary Jonathan bless God he heard the voice of God all right, so here's what I want you missionaries to do. Listen very carefully. I want you to turn around, face your world, right? Now, I want each one of you to think about this. I want you to go and stand in front of the part of the world that you believe most needs to hear the gospel. And when you think you're in the place you need to be, please just raise your hand so I know that you're done with your decision. I still have to preach, so don't be long. <laughs> okay, are we settled? All right. So this looks amazing, doesn't it, folks? I mean, we clearly understand that there is such a lostness over here and we need to take the gospel there. And so these missionaries have chosen to say these most need to hear the gospel except there's a real problem and that is that this in no way represents the demographic of the missionary force in the world today and so we need to adjust it in order that we make sense so young man you were adventurous but we're gonna move you down there 
and we're going to ask you to move down there too. If sir, would you go down there too? Young lady, can you go down there? Yeah, you can go down there too. You can all just keep moving all the way down to the end there. We're going to let you go down there, and uh, and you can move all the way down there. Yeah, I'm afraid we're going to have to get you down there. We can kind of make you stand right here. And this is the representation of where the missionary force in the world is today. 74 out of every 100 missionaries in the world is serving in the place where the church is already well established. The word of God is available in their own language and they can come to understand God by virtue of those around them. And yet there remains so little attention to the half of the world who has no access to the gospel at all. And I want us to just pause before we share the word of God this morning and just pray and ask the Lord to speak to us to understand what must we do as the body of Christ in order to make sure that every tribe and every tongue and every nation has opportunity to hear the gospel. So as we begin, would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you that each one of us here this morning has had full and free access to the truth that Jesus came, gave his life as the Son of God in order that we might be redeemed, in order that we might be in relationship with God and have hope of heaven. But we are reminded this morning, Lord, that you came for everyone. You love me no more than any other human being on the face of the earth. You are passionate about every single one of them, no matter where they are. And we are reminded of the tragedy of the fact that there are literally billions of people who have no one to tell them at all. No access at all to the truth that we embrace every day and have celebrated in our service this morning. Lord, call us, I pray, and teach us by your Spirit what we should do. Help us, Lord, not to assume we can give the task to someone else. Help us to say, here am I, Lord, use me, send me, in order that your kingdom come, your will be done among every one of those unreached peoples. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please give the props back to Rita. Um, and uh, let's give our, our supporting cast a, a good round of applause. So this morning, um, I want to share some thoughts with you that center around the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32. We might not necessarily think of Jeremiah as a typical missionary uh, subject matter book of the Bible, but it is really important that we understand the truth that's being illustrated here this morning. I want to talk to you about perilous times, chaotic realities, and crazy godly ideas. Listening to politicians and world leaders, watching the news, observing economic indicators, it all stirs up fear and, and insecurity and hopelessness. Even if you're somebody who believes that God is God and that he has a plan for the future. The whole world uh, seems to 
be under siege by a myriad of conflicting forces and wingnut kingdom builders, it seems, at times. And in many days, many ways, those who strive to declare righteousness are muzzled, even imprisoned. Truth seems really hard to come by. Stability seems gone and society is rotting from within and leaders under which society must live seem incapable of withstanding national and even global demise. There seems to be very little reason to believe that the purposes of God could be advanced in the world. There appears to be a lot of bad news out there for God's people and his kingdom. Now I'm speaking, of course, this morning about the nation of Judah in 600 BC, and in particular, the city of Jerusalem at that time. The 10 tribes of Israel, of northern Israel, have been scattered many years before by the Assyrian Empire, and now the two tribes of Judah have declined under godless leaders to the point where Jerusalem is under total siege by Sennacherib, the king of Babylon. And there's nothing to indicate that life will improve or that the future can be believed in. There's one man who knows what the future holds, and it's not a pretty picture. Jeremiah the prophet has declared again and again before Zedekiah, who was the last king of Judah, that a bad ending is certain. But this king, who's really a powerless man sitting on a failing throne, has his head stuck firmly in the sand, and he has imprisoned this one man who tells him the truth, bottled him up to keep him away from the newspapers, and Jeremiah sits under guard, cut off from influence, and unable to make his own choices to personally avoid the coming disasters. But he is not cut off from the voice of God. And God comes to Jeremiah in chapter 32 with what seems to be with one of the most ludicrous ideas imaginable. And it connects with what we have seen and illustrated this morning in terms of what is needed and how we need to think about the parts of the world that are so hard seemingly and so difficult to access and yet they are the parts of the world that most desperately need to hear the gospel and to have that gospel proclaimed to them. And so God comes to Jeremiah in this chapter with this crazy idea. And here's the story. It starts in verse 6. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, by my field in Anatoth. Now, Anatoth was a town about three kilometers north of Jerusalem, right in the path of the advance of the Babylonian army. And Jeremiah said, God told me that my cousin's going to come and say, buy my field in Anatoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and your duty to buy it. Cultural thing. Then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field at Anatoth in the territory of Benjamin. Since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. Jeremiah says, I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field at Anatoth from my cousin Hanamel and I weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and I sealed the deed. I had it witnessed 
and I weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copies containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave it to Baruch, son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin, and of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and of all the Jews that are sitting in the courtyard. In their presence, I gave Baruch these instructions. Now, Jeremiah here, let's understand this. Jeremiah here, under the instructions of God Almighty, makes this land purpose, uh, purchase a quite public and prophetic act. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. He said, Baruch, as he hands him this signed and sealed deed. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Jeremiah spends his own money he signs and seals legal documents he takes responsibility for and gives public instructions in order to preach a prophetic sermon. After he gives the deed of purchase to Baruch, he says, I prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Pastor David encouraged us earlier, whatever you're facing in life, trust him. Because nothing is impossible to God. I've had the chance to roam around places in the world that one would think there's not a chance God can make a change here. I flew into Baghdad in the middle of a war a number of years ago on a 16-seater plane, 23,000 feet over the northwest part of Iraq, out of Amman, Jordan. And when we got over Baghdad, they dropped that little plane to 15,000 feet, turned it on its ear, and we spiraled down and landed in four minutes from 15,000 feet. And when we were finally on the ground, I said to the pilot, I said, why do you do that? He says, well, it confuses the surface-to-air missiles almost 100% of the time. <laughs> awesome. Let's do that again on the way back up. And we did. I was only shot at twice. And you say, God, how can you, how can you do anything here? And yet I sat with leaders of little groups, and we would teach them on how to lead uh, a, a church however it looked in their settings, and we would teach for an hour or two and pray together. They'd go out for a smoke, <laughs> and we'd come back in, and we'd teach some more. And all I wanted to do, literally, was to, to kiss their feet because they'd come out of prison and they'd been beaten for their faith, but they were tenaciously following Jesus as they led 10 or 20 or 30 others. I, I could tell you story after story after story like that of how God is at work in places that we believe make no sense to go to. And yet they are a part of the parts of the world 
whose heart God, God's heart aches over because they have no knowledge, no access, nobody there to tell them of how much he loves them. So Jeremiah prays, nothing's too hard for you, O God. What is Jeremiah referring to here? He's saying, God, I'm, I'm risking everything I have to obey your direction. I know and I confess that you have a plan. The apparent chaos of our world is not a surprise to you. Sennacherib sitting outside the gates of Jerusalem is not a surprise to you, nor does it deter you from your eternal purpose. And I know and I understand that obedience to buy into your eternal purpose, even in the twilight of my days and my time and my ministry, is the wisest investment I can make of my life, my resources, my time, and my heart. God would come to us this morning as well as his people. And he would say, I want you to know about those who still have no opportunity, and I want you to ask yourself, God, what is my role? What is my responsibility? What should I be doing specifically as an individual, as a couple, as a family, as a congregation, to make sure that they have the opportunity that I have enjoyed freely for so long? Now keep in mind, Jeremiah is in prison. Jerusalem is besieged. This would seem to be the most inopportune and illogical time to be buying property or investing in anything. If you went to your financial advisor today and asked that question, he'd probably, I don't know, Duke, what would he do? He'd probably kind of go, have you lost your mind? Crazy time. And sure enough, within 10 years, Jerusalem has fallen. Judah is captive in Babylon. Seems a crazy idea to invest in that environment. And yet God himself, the almighty creator, specifically directs Jeremiah to invest in what seems to be a lost cause. And he calls you and I, his servants today, to do the same thing. Why? Because God is never done. He's never done. I used to think, I didn't think we'd ever make it into the 1980s. Every second sermon I ever heard as a kid was on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I, I remember sitting at home December 31st, 1979, thinking to myself, or 69, thinking to myself, my parents are at a watch night service. Jesus is coming for sure. I'm looking at my watch, 1159. There's no way we're going to make it. I thought the same thing in 1979. And then I hit 50 and I thought, stink, I might die before the rapture. That might actually happen. I didn't think about it. God's never done. Why is he never done? Because there's so many who've never had a shot. They've never had a chance. And he has a purpose and a destiny that is absolutely clear, yet farsighted in its focus. His son Jesus shall reign wherever the sun rises in the morning, and he will be praised among every tongue and every tribe and every language. But to see that happen, we, his people, must invest in what may seem to us to hold the least and when we do, God can complete his plan. The truth is, we may not live to see it all fulfilled, but that's not the point. The point is, God intends to glorify Jesus among every nation on the face of the earth. We are commanded in Matthew 28 to go into 
all the world, make disciples of all nations. The church of Jesus is commanded to leave their own place of comfort and move out to reveal Christ in places where he is not known or worshipped. If you study the life of Jesus, you can count on one hand the number of times he actually demonstrated his power in what we would call a holy place, in a church, in a temple, in a synagogue. Jesus spent all his time giving words of wisdom, laying hands on the sick, creating miracles and stuff in Starbucks, in Walmart, in Home Depot, at the Ford dealership down the road. That's where he spent his time revealing who he was. We are to go into all the world. The commission points the church to the entire expanse of planet Earth. Not a single region is exempted. We are to make disciples. We are directed to lead others in being followers of Jesus. He didn't command us to make believers. He asks for disciples. And we are to do this among every single nation on Earth. Nations refers to language groups, peoples, everywhere. People tied together by common language. It's hard for our North American minds to accept because our culture and our economy in North America has taught us to invest in what we are sure will bring a large return in our lifetime. But God doesn't calculate that way. He measures success in terms of obedience. Regardless of our ideas of expected profit, And he measures discipleship in terms of changed nations, changed peoples. To change a nation, we must first see a community change. Before that, change has to come to one family, and that begins with one life. One person, discipled, begins a journey of transformation in a family tree that moves into the community and brings transformation to the whole nation. And as we press on into the 21st century, we are training our missional attention to the multiple thousands of unreached people groups in the world who have yet to hear the witness of Christ at all. They are not only lost in the sense of being unsaved as we understand it, but they are also completely in the dark in terms of opportunity to hear of Jesus. I was sharing with the Sunday school class this morning that in what we call the 1040 window, 10 degrees below the equator, 40 degrees above the equator from Atlantic to the Pacific. 86% of the world's people groups, unreached people groups, live in that window. 80% of every Muslim, Buddhist, and Hindu person in that window will be born, will live, and will die without ever once meeting a follower of Jesus. Can we live with that? in light of what Christ has called us to be and do. This morning as I wind up, I want to tell you just a few stories of the ones who've come to faith because sometimes we look at this and we hear the stories of restricted access nations and we say, it can't happen, it's too hard, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't transmit. And that's not true. Omar has been a faithful student in our Middle East language, Muslim, dedicated to spreading Islam in the world. And he, he, he used to say, anyone who tries to stop it will face a violent response. Sheldon, one of our young global workers, spent quite a bit of time with Omar and discussing theology and faith. And we began to see a change in Omar. Of all of the young men that Sheldon spends time with, Omar has watched Sheldon's life the closest. He's not yet committed his life to faith that I'm aware of. But he often asks for prayer for himself and for his family. 
knowing that we pray in the name of Jesus. Omar could be the one in that case. Terence and Tracy needed to hire employees for their business startup in Central Asia, and the Lord led them to a man named Safahan who came with relevant experience but with family sickness and troubles as well. And Terence found a lot of opportunities to apply God's word and prayer to Safahan's worries as they worked together. One day during a routine conversation, Safahan declared that he could no longer consider himself a Muslim. He was considering Jesus. As the, as the Syrian crisis began to unfold and the business became untenable just because of what was going on there and Terence was worrying about it, Sapahan, this man who was just now starting to trust Jesus, looked at Terence and said, this business was started by God. It is owned by God. He knows what's going on and we just need to trust him. Like, wow. Jason followed Jesus to the Middle East a few years ago with his family, and through casual involvement in his neighborhood, he met Hadi, and they began connecting over coffee. Conversation quickly moved to spiritual things, as it often does there. Jason shared his faith and his life openly with Hadi, often ending their times together in prayer for Hadi's family and needs. During a particular uh, festival that's called Eid al-Adha, in which they, they, they commemorate Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son. Now, of course, they think in terms of Ishmael. We, of course, uh, say that the Bible talks about Isaac, but they think about that. It's a very important part of their year, and during that time, Jason was able to communicate with Hadi how Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, and Jason chose to follow Jesus, but he didn't stop there. He got so excited about what had happened in his own life, he began to have Bible studies with other business people on the street, little shop owners. And today, Jason, uh, not Jason, well, Jason invests in Hadi, and Hadi is discipling over 10 other business shop owners on his street who saw what God did in his life, and they want the same for their lives and for their family. And it's moving out from just one disciple into a community and bringing transformation. I'm, I'm going to ask you to fire up that video if you, if you can. Um, I'm going to let a, a, a very short video uh, tell this next story and then add a little piece to it as we, as we move along and try to close. Mo, as we call him, uh, is very involved in evangelism, discipleship, but we need to understand that he's part of a people group of about five and a half million people and he was one of the very first believers because we as the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada through RAN Network sent a global worker to his country who started a business. Mo came to work in the business. Six months later said, you keep talking about Jesus. Will you teach me how to follow Jesus? And that's his story. Now what he does, he goes around from village to village conducting business. And let me tell you a recent story of what this looks like because he's now been involved in the discipleship of about 120 of his own people group who are following Jesus also. Because he goes to the village. He, he, he was going through a village buying an agricultural product from women who work for the company. And while he was visiting one village and buying this product and then trying to move to the next village, some men came up to him and said, we heard that you've become a follower of Jesus. Is that true? 
And he was a little apprehensive, but he said, yes. Well, what does that mean? And so he began to tell them the Old Testament prophet stories, the story because they believe Adam and, and Abraham and Noah and Moses and everybody. They're all Old Testament prophets. So he began to tell all these prophet stories, and he came right up and concluded with the story of prophet Jesus. And by the time he was done, there was 80 people standing around listening to the stories, including the imam in the mosque. And one of these men turned to the imam and said, is what he said true? And the imam said, yes, it's true. And the meeting ended. Three weeks later, he was back again to do his same product work. Fifteen men hurried up to him and he thought, oh no, what now? What do I do now? And they said, last time you were here, you told us all those stories, and you told us the story of Jesus. And while you've been away, we have been talking, and we realized we cannot be Muslim anymore. Will you teach us how to follow Jesus the way you follow Jesus? A whole country has the chance to be changed because a community is now changing. And God is bringing about his purpose in their lives. I need to close. So many other stories I could tell you. I'd like to tell you about China, where God is doing just amazing things, but right now China is incredibly difficult to be in. It's a very delicate situation because of politics and various other things. Our workers are keeping their heads low, etc. We're engaged with a national network of house churches. We used to, I was just not that long ago, in mainland China, training about 100 of these house church leaders, but we can't do it in the country anymore. We actually have to bring them out to Hong Kong to do it, and it's expensive, and if somebody speak, if God speaks to you and you wanna help us do that, we would love uh, to talk to you about that. We need to, we need to get these leaders out for a time and, and uh, help them. There's so many opportunities and, and open doors. God is doing things. It's harder to talk about because it's not safe for our global workers many times. People say, well, why would you send them if it's not safe? Folks, Jesus is not safe. We, we, we like a safe Jesus, but he's not safe. You could get yourself killed being a friend of Jesus, and he calls us to follow him. And we may be crazy, but God has all kinds of crazy ideas that turn into amazing things. And I want to invite you this morning personally in your lives to ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do about this? And so as Pastor David comes to close, every one of these stories and so many more that I have mentioned this morning are real people in real countries facing real challenges, and yet God is bringing about fruit just because we've chosen to obey. And we invite you to follow Jesus with us. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. May God bless you, inspire you, call you. I like to tell young people, but I tell old people too, God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. If you'd like to talk to us about how God could use you, Please come see me afterwards. God bless you. Just ask the worship team if you'd come and uh, sing God You Reign.
We are blessed, aren't we, um, to serve God as we do in the freedom that we have. Um, but God also has given us a responsibility to um, share the good news and to make sure that the gospel goes around the world. Um, as we're talking about this today, we are reminded, and some of you may not be aware, that we are right now in the middle of Ramadan for Muslim people. Um, it's funny how in Canada we get really upset um, because somebody, a Muslim, doesn't wish us Merry Christmas. Um, we want them to know our holidays, but the realities are there's many Muslim, even in our own community now, that are celebrating Ramadan, where for 30 days they fast and pray during the daylight hours. And um, we have a missionary that we've supported before, Stephen Kervilla in Edmonton, who ministers to Muslim people in Edmonton. And uh, he's been putting on Facebook uh, 30 days of prayer requests. And uh, we should pray for our Muslim neighbors and friends. Uh, believe me, um, it used to be that many of us would never be exposed to Muslims, but they're all around us today, even in Barhead. And so we just need to remind ourselves that God has called us to reach the world, even people who are different than we are. Amen? Even people who are different than we are. Would you stand with me? And uh, we're going to sing God, You Reign, and I'll close the prayer. <laughs>